Welcome to Conservation Unfiltered, a podcast all about the North American model of conservation and your chance to dive into conversations about trends, research, and outdoor activities. It's time to get wild with the 2021 Conservation Media Award-winning host, Jason Creighton. You know, you can go on YouTube and say, and just Google coyote trapping. What you gotta be careful of is, not that that person is not doing something ethical or legal, but it could be in completely another state with different regulations. So you gotta, gotta keep that in mind. Could even be a PA trapper, but, but they're trapping in New Mexico and they have different regs. So you're like, oh, well, I know that guy, he's from Pennsylvania. Yeah, but he's not, he's following the laws of New Mexico, not in Pennsylvania. So you just gotta be careful of, of that kind of thing. Welcome back to another episode of the Conservation Unfiltered podcast presented by Conserve the Wild. I'm your host, Jason Creighton, and this is episode number 99, Trapping 101. This week, I have a returning guest coming back on the podcast for his third time in relatively short order, Dan Lynch. Now, if you remember, Dan was on back in episode number 91 to talk about the wildlife and on Wi-Fi program with the Pennsylvania Game Commission. Then he joined us again for episode number 93 to talk about the moral and ethical and conservation need uh, around trapping. Today, he's going to talk to us about how to get started trapping and just sort of that trapping 101 knowledge that you would need if you want to start. Some of the things we're going to talk about today include how to prep your traps, how to set locations, and how to release some non-target animals. Uh, we really only dive into just a couple types of traps and a, and a couple ways to trap certain uh, species of animals, of fur bears uh, in Pennsylvania. There's so much more we can go into depth with, but we just really want to you know, set the groundwork for how to get started with trapping. So let's just go right into it and start talking to Dan. Welcome back, everyone. I have a wonderful returning guest. Uh, as you heard in the intro, uh, we talked with Dan Lynch a couple weeks ago, and it was so good, and we didn't get through enough information that I had to have him back on in pretty quick order. Dan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jason. Thanks for uh, having me again. It's great to hear your voice. Uh, we had what I think is a one of the great conversations that I've had on this podcast last time, talking about basically why people trap and the importance of trapping, um, you know, ethics, morality of it, you know, conservation needs. And that's all wonderful, great stuff to talk about. Um, that's the kind of things that I like to talk about, right? The, almost the philosophy of it. Um, but that's only going to get you so far if you're talking about trapping, uh, to actually, you know, get some results from trapping, you're going to have to actually go out and do it. So we thought, hey, if someone's interested in trapping, you know, let's talk about how we can get started, uh, get that person started and, and on their way. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. You know, a, a little bit of the basics of sort of how to trapping. So let's just start with the, the most basic part. The one thing that you have to have in order to trap is a trap. So right. 
what is some of the basic equipment that we're going to, that someone would need to either invest in or borrow to start trapping? All right. Well, you know, before you decide what types of traps, you have to decide what you're going to trap um, because you just don't use any one trap for any type of critter. So um, <clears throat> let's say, you know, we were interested in going for fox or coyote. There's some basic traps that you would need. And we're going to talk specifically footholds. So we're not going to talk about other things that you could use a cable restraint or a, a large cage trap or anything. We're just talking about footholds. And so you're going to need a, a few footholds. And, and normally people buy them either like by a half dozen or a dozen. That's normally how they're sold. You know, if you got a buddy and it just lets you borrow one or two, that's great. But, you know, if you're going to go through all the effort, you might as well put a few out there to increase your odds of catching something. It's not always that easy. You just put one trap out and catch a critter. Um, so if I was going to give you some advice on setting for fox or coyote, my suggestion would be to use a foothold of a particular size. And that size would be at the small end would be what's called a one and three quarter or a 1.75. And on the bigger end, maybe a two, maybe a, th a size three trap. And, and the reason I say that is like, if someone goes to buy one, they're, they're sold by that size, either one, one and a half, one and seven, five, you know, two. And if you get too big, you might end up going beyond our regulations. In Pennsylvania, you're, when the jaw, when the traps are set open, from the outside to the outside edge of the jaw, it can't be more than six and a half inches. So if you go to some size threes or some brands of size four, you're going to be beyond a six and a half, which would make it an unlawful trap. So if you wanted to, you know, I'm going to talk about the things that I use. I use mostly a size two. That size, that's size of a trap. Um, some manufacturers, you know, to, it sort of gets a little confusing is they call them like a 450 or a 550. And... You know, so, I mean, and that's what I use. I use, I, I use a, a lot of different brands. I try to stick with one and it's a size 450, which is about a one and three quarter. Again, a little confusing. Or a 550, which is about a size two. And the idea is when those, when a 550 opens, it's five and a half inches. It's kind of easy, the width. And when a 450 opens, it's four and a half inches. And I can catch, you can catch a coyote or a fox in either one of those traps. Okay, the bigger the jaw spread enables a bigger size foot to fit in it better. So, you know, you know, uh, if you use a 550, something that opens about five and a half inches wide when it's spread, any coyote foot or fox foot will get in there. Okay, so that's the kind of, you know, it's hard on a podcast because I can't show you the track. Um, but, um, you know, if you're if you're looking and, and it, the great way to do this is on the Internet, just Google traps for trapping and or trap trapping supply dealers. And there's a bunch of different ones. I use a lot of different companies, um, but that's the best way to do it. And a lot of them already kind of, they tell you, hey, this is a good size for this type of animal. So it's not like you just have to like, oh my, I have no idea what to use. Um, the internet is a good way to go, you know, contacting your local trapping organization, getting on their, their email list and just saying, hey, I want to go, I live in whatever, Western Pennsylvania, and I'm trying to trap a coyote, what size trap should I use? Trust me, you'll have a million answer, you know, responses back. So the people want to help. Um, but so something about a four and a half to five and a half inch jaw spread for both fox and, and coyote. And is the reason, 
in Pennsylvania, for example, that you can't get too big of a trap? Is that just to limit, you know, sort of that that miscatch? Sure. Yeah. Non non targets. So like uh, you know, if you don't, we we don't want to use something like for beavers. Okay. So in in Pennsylvania, you can still only use that six and a half inch jaw spread for beaver. But if you've ever seen a beaver's foot, hind foot, when they spread them out, they can be seven to seven and a half inches wide. So when you think about it, if the six and a half inch jaw spread would be set for a beaver underwater and their hind foot comes down on it, it literally could push up and nothing get caught, like just push it right out. But that doesn't always happen. You'll catch a couple of toes or sometimes the whole foot isn't spread out when it comes down. Um, and in other states, you can use a bigger trap. But if that trap was set on land and somebody's dog with a tiny little foot got in there, it could cause some damage. So we're not trying to, you know, first off, you don't need six and a half inches to catch a coyote. Like there's a whole lot of coyotes that are caught that prove that, that you don't. You know, in other states where you're maybe not around a lot of people, then the odds of you catching a non-target are probably not that, that great. Um, but um, that's, that's most likely why. Um, the, the, jaw is, the jaw size is big enough and people can do it. And if you happen to catch that non-target, it, it's easily released without damage to the foot. That's the whole point. You know, we wanna be humane. Okay, so we have the trap. We know, yeah. at least in Pennsylvania, what kind of trap. Is there anything else that we need? Sure. Um, so for every trap in Pennsylvania, you need to have a tag on. So it can be, my suggestion is like a copper tag. If it's, if it's anything like real flimsy, like aluminum, the critter might tear it off or chew it off or something like that. So uh, those same trapping companies, they all make tags and send them uh, sell, sell them to you and they're very, very cheap. You could get a hundred of them with your name, Jason, and your address for like five or six bucks. And you have a hundred copper tags and you, you wrap them around the chain somehow or the swivel or wire them onto it. But any, anything, you, if you use a tiny little piece of wire and you trap the, attach it to it, it's a really good chance it's not gonna be on there. So I literally wrap them around the swivel and they, they stay. And so it either has to have, has to have your name and address or a free trapper ID that you can get from the game commission. So it'll be a specific, it'll probably be your CID number now uh, that you, you know, for your hunting license. Why, why would someone want, would, why would someone choose to have a CID number on it instead of <laughs> their name and address? Sure. So um, if you are a lawful trapper, you're only going to be trapping where you're allowed to anyhow, where you have permission. But if somebody was to come upon your trap, and let's say they didn't like trapping. Then maybe they come to your house, Jason, and they, you know, who knows what they do. They throw a bunch of garbage in your front lawn because they know you're the trapper and they don't like trapping. So instead, if they find this lice, this trap and they call the game commission, let's say, and there's like, there's a CID number on there. Well, a game warden can, can look it up and find out it's you, contact you. Yes, you have permission. Now the onus is on the person. Why did that person have your trap in the first place? So like if they disturb your trap, that's unlawful. So what they thought they were going to do is get you in trouble. And in, in effect, maybe it's going to work the other way. Um, so and that's why you want to make sure those tags stay on because it's by law. You have to have an every trap tagged. Um, so so that's something you need for sure. Um, 
you're going to need to have some way to attach the trap either to the ground or to some object that it can't move so that you can find the critter after you catch it. Okay, so you're going to either stake it into the ground, and there are so many different ways you can do it, but a simple way is rebar stakes. So they're like 15 to 18 inches long. They're about half inch diameter. They've got a little washer welded to the top, and they slide down through the swivel and the chain. You pound them down into the ground, and the critter gets caught. It can only go, you know, it, these traps are a live restraining device. So the fox or the coyote is going to be alive. And he's going to go around in a circle, but he can't get anywhere. Okay. Now, to not get too far in the weeds, but you're going to try to catch a coyote, you're going to want more than one stick. So many times we cross stick. So we have, there's a little device that's attached to the bottom of the chain of the trap. And it's got, it looks like um, a flat piece of metal with two holes in it. And you take stakes and you drive them in an X. And that's much stronger than one stake going down. Okay. You always set a trap for the biggest thing you possibly think you could catch. So if you, if you set that trap and you're like, oh, I'm just going to catch a muskrat and you catch a coyote and he's 40 pounds, he's going to pull the stake out and run away. Okay. And you don't want that. So cross staking is super important if you're going to use a stake and whatever grant, whatever medium, if you're, if you're staking in the sand, you want really, really long stakes. If you're staking in you know, super hard ground, maybe you get away with a short stake. Um, I myself, I use cable stakes. So it's tiny little metal, uh, it's, it's actually cast, uh, cast uh, metal uh, bullet at the bottom and there's a little cable or a chain attached to it. And there's a driver and it drives that little bullet down into the ground. And then when I tug on it, the bullet, instead of going straight down, it turns like a T and it holds. It's very similar to, if you've ever seen, um, a landscaper, they put up a nice big tree in, somebody, in somebody's lawn and they drive the cables down to hold it so it, it keeps going straight up in the air. Well, at the bottom of those cables is a bullet stake. That's where this whole came from. This whole thing came from was from uh, landscaping. And those things work great. They're so much lighter to carry and you can get a, a device that pulls them right back out of the ground too. They call them disposable stakes, but that's not true. They, they, don't, they don't just disintegrate not in your lifetime or my lifetime are they going to disintegrate i pull them back out so i can reuse them and uh so there's there's that or you could attach it to a tree or a log or i mean there's things called drags but i don't think we should get into that for for basic stuff but if you would if you attach to a tree or a big heavy log don't use wire everybody thinks you should use wire because it's cheap wire when you bend it back and forth will break but if you use cable it's aircraft cable. Um, it's very, very simple. You can put loops on each end. You can put a little clip on it. Cable works. Wire is a bad idea. It's just a bad idea. Um, does it work? Sure. One or two times. And then the animal, you know what happens when you twist wire. It's going to break. And we don't want that animal running away with a trap on its foot. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you at least brought up the idea of using, you know, large inanimate objects around where you're putting that trap just because sure. there are areas you know like if i would decide to trap uh at our our family cabin uh there i don't know that i can put any piece of metal or stake or anything into the ground more than about three inches before i can sure. work sure. uh, sometimes yeah. that's just not even possible mm -hmm. so cable, that cabling something to something heavy not a rock they don't work but a log that's not rotted or a tree that works. It's not going anywhere. Okay. Um, all right. So we have the, we have the trap. We have a way to to stake it down, or or at least you know keep it 
that animal where you know it, it stepped into the trap right what else okay so you're going to need um probably some sort of a digging tool okay because you're probably going to want to put this this trap slightly lower than the ground level okay because animals aren't stupid they're not going to just step up on your trap so you're going to need to dig a hole and you can get real simple and you can just use like a little hand shovel okay you know like a little garden shovel type thing um you're going to want a hammer to pound the stakes in but not like a hammer that you build a shed with like a uh a one pound hammer okay something with a big head on it um and you might need something to dig up the dirt so you might need three little tools or you go on those trapping websites and you buy a three-in-one tool and it's three tools in one it's the handle at the end of the handle is the spade it's got a one pound hammer for hammering. And on one end of the hammer, they weld a piece on it that you can use to claw. And instead of carrying three tools, I carry one tool. And I, I, I buy several of these things because unfortunately sometimes I leave them and I walk away. But what you wanna do is you wanna spray paint them. Spray paint them orange or red. And people always go, well, why is it like that? Well, you'll know why it's like that when you go back looking for it because you can't find it anymore. So they're about 20 bucks and you can get three tools for 20 bucks or yeah, you can buy three $20 tools. If, if anyone listening has been hunting and uh, has been field dressing a deer and set their knife down. Oh yeah, man. If it doesn't have uh, an orange handle on right. it or, you know, a colorful handle, man, sometimes it's hard. I think Pennsylvania woods are loaded with really nice knives. I'm sure they are. <laughs> oh man. I guarantee <laughs> there are buck knives. There are thousands, yeah. if not tens of thousands of buck knives sure. laying it on, you know, under <laughs> about uh, two inches of litter leaf and, and right. dirt all throughout Pennsylvania. All right. So we have all that. Um, I, I know we need at least one more thing because we need something to get that animal to step in that little two inch okay, area. Well, we right? need, before we even get to that, we need okay. two more other things. Okay. okay. All right. So, so we dig the hole, right? And then we've got the trap in the hole, you know, in, in a depression. Let's say we have the trap in the depression. We need to cover that trap. So you can use a lot of different things. You could use dried grass. You can use dried dirt. You can use peat moss you can use lots of different things but you don't want that stuff that you put over the trap to go underneath the pan so the pan is the thing that the animal steps on and if you sift a bunch of if you put a bunch of dirt over it and some falls underneath there and the animal steps on the pan it won't go down so we need what's called a pan covering of some sort here's the easiest pan cover scent free toilet paper okay so you don't want it to smell delicious because then the critter comes up and is like oh what's what's this you know so you want scent free or you want to use a, a wire screen over top of it or you want to use a piece of wax paper over top of it if you use wax paper before you put the piece of wax paper over top of the trap you want to crumble the wax paper up and then set it over it and the reason is this it's a, a way to think of this is if you've ever got a brand new dollar bill Let's say you get 10 brand new dollar bills and you stick them in your wallet or your purse and you take them out. Sometimes they stick together. So what you do is you crumble them up a little bit and then stick them in the wallet and they come and, and they, they don't even make any noise. They don't crumble. They don't crackle. Same thing with wax paper. You take a little tiny chunk of wax paper, crumble it up in your hands, then, then spread it back out again and set it on top. Because if the animal 
If you don't do that, and the animal step, let's say you have wax paper on the trap and you put some dirt on it, and he steps down, he's actually gonna hear it, gonna hear it crumble, and that's all he's gonna do. Now he's gonna dig it up, he's gonna probably take a poop on it, just to teach you a lesson that he knows you were there. Okay, so crumble up the wax paper. One other thing you could do is even easier than all of those. You go to a place like Walmart and you buy fiberfill. So fiberfill is a big bag for about a buck of white like stuffing for making pillows or toys, stuffed toys, okay? That fiberfill is two things. It doesn't absorb water and it has no scent to it. So you take a ball of it, maybe the size of a golf ball, and you slide it underneath the pan. And now whatever you sift over top of the trap doesn't go under the pan. And when the animal steps on it, the fiber fill goes down. And if it rains or whatever, it doesn't absorb it so it doesn't freeze and turn into a block of ice. So you need some sort of a pan cover. Okay, so I gave you some options there and they're cheap op options. It doesn't cost much at all. The most expensive one would be wire or steel and you'd have to cut that to the right dimensions and everything but the others are really easy so then you can either sift with your hand or you can buy a sifter or make a sifter so a sifter is a little square or rectangular piece of metal or wood with about quarter inch mesh inside it and you when you dig out the dirt for your trap bed you put that dirt in the mesh screen and then when you're done, you sift it over top of the trap and then all the big clods and sticks and rocks, they stay in the screen and you just chuck them to the side. And now everything over top of your trap is nicely sifted and it's smooth and there's no big rocks. So that's important. You can do it with, you can do it with dried grass. You could take grass clippings after you mow them and you let them dry, shove them in a bag, keep them in your garage and then just take that with you come trapping season and just cover it. And people were like, oh, well, won't the animal know the difference between dried grass from your lawn and the dirt? Really? Are you serious? Uh, no, they, no, they won't, okay? Now, if you make a big giant pile of it, maybe, but you're just sifting a little bit over top of the trap. Um, and that's free, again, you just need to do the work in the summertime, you know? So then you're gonna need something to carry all this stuff. So you can go the simple route, five gallon bucket, put everything in a five gallon bucket. You can go and buy those work bags. You can get them at hardware stores. You know, they kind of like, they collapse and you, all the little pockets for everything. I use a backpack. I just every, and I use it, I probably last me two or three years and then it stinks so bad and I have to get rid of it. But in the backpack, I can put all the stuff in the backpack. And the idea is when I'm walking from my truck to wherever I'm making my set, I have both hands free. So if I'm bringing a fox back or a coyote back or whatever, I don't have to take two trips. All my trapping stuff's on my back and I got two hands to carry whatever it is I need to carry. And I've, I've been using backpacks for, you know, it's not like it's some special thing, but I don't usually see that on TV shows. Everybody's got buckets because many times they're driving right up to the set, like out into a field, they're right there. You don't have to do anything, but I don't have that. Lots of times I'm walking. I'm walking away from the road because I don't want somebody to see the critter in my trap. I mean, it's legal, but I don't, I don't need people to go, why is that fox not moving out in the middle of the field? Um, so I'm going to walk someplace where it's out of sight, and I would just rather have everything on my back and have both hands free to do whatever, carry whatever else, a snare pole or the fox back out or whatever. Um, and then the part you were getting to, like the last thing you need is, how are you going to get that animal to come to the trap? 
and you're going to need some sort of a bait or lure that you're either going to put in a hole next to the trap or on a rock, smear it on a rock next to the trap or a log, or maybe you put a piece of PVC pipe in the ground, short section of pipe, put all your food and stuff in the pipe. Um, so you're going to need something to attract them to it, or you're going to do what's called a blind set. So there's just a trail you already see the tracks and you're just going to bed the trap in the trap in the trail and hope to catch them where there's nothing. They're just walking along. Boom. They step right in. it. So there's different ways to look at it. So what I'm taking from this is there's a few things that you have to have, right? Yeah. Obviously got to have traps, traps. got to yeah. have traps. You know, you got to make sure that the trap's going to go off. Um, you know, there, there's some, there's some things that you have to have. Um, but it's not a ton of stuff. And no. if you're an enter, you know, if you're, you know, if you're a DIY kind of guy, uh, other than the, than the trap itself, there's, you know, some things that you can make oh, that you don't easy. have to spend a ton of money for. No, um, not at all. If I would buy, say a lot of times these traps come in, you know, sets of six. Uh, mm -hmm. if, let's say I go and I buy, you know, a, a set of six traps. Um, and I, let's just say, I feel, I don't feel like making this stuff. I'm going to buy the, the three in one tool. I'm going to buy a pan cover. I'm going to buy everything I need. I mean, how much, how much Probably, would it be? Well, okay. So the, the expensive thing can be the trap. So there are traps that are still good traps that have modifications on them. You know, again, you can look up that from our last podcast, we talked about best management practices. That's a really cool way to start is to go and say, hey, I'm going to trap for foxes. What are the fox BMP recommendations? And they will give you a whole list of different brands of traps that they tested already. And there are cheaper versions and there are Cadillac versions. Okay. Um, I have gone away over the years from the cheaper versions to the Cadillac versions because when I get them out of the box, they have all the modifications that I need. I don't need to do anything. I don't need to change the swivels. I don't need to change the chains. I don't need to do any of that stuff. And, but you don't need to start there, okay? Um, you can start with traps that cost maybe $12 a piece, something like that, 12 or $14 a piece. You get a half dozen or borrow some from somebody. And, you know, you might be looking at maybe 200 bucks for everything, maybe. Maybe unless you unless you literally can you already have the stuff in your garage you know like you got a hammer you know you, you got a shovel probably there's other things you can do without spending buku bucks you know um, and and same thing with lore and bait you know you can buy the already made stuff by reputable dealers and and there's a lot to make in that stuff it's it's not just a jar of mouse inside there. There's all kinds of stuff on, in some of them that are specific oils and glands and everything else that are attractive to a certain critter at a certain time of the year. And, or you can use tuna fish or sardines or, you know, foxes and coyotes probably have never eaten a sardine in their whole life. And they will come and eat, try to get a sardine out of the ground, no problem. Um, so there's, there's different things that, you know, you can go super cheap and, and try it and see if it works. And uh, then you can always spend a little bit more money, you know, later on if, if you really enjoy it.
Yeah, I, I mean, that's sort of the part I'm trying to get to is that for an activity that you can do, there's not a whole lot of investment financially oh, into it no. uh, compared to a lot of other oh, activities yeah. that you can do. For the cost do. of one brand new high-powered rifle, yeah, like half of that, you can get into trapping, like, or less, like, yeah, let's, let's not talk too much about how much hunting costs, just in case my wife listens to this episode. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So we have, let, let's, we've gotten through, we know now all the equipment we need. Um, let's say I've got all the equipment. What do I, what do I need to do to prep the trap both before I take it into the field? And then also, you know, like, well, we'll, we'll, we'll get to the, how the set after. Okay, uh, sure. let, let's focus on. What do I need to do to prep this trap? Because that trap is made of metal. I'm right. putting it out in, you know, in the wilderness mm -hmm. or in the forest or mm -hmm. field or wherever. Right. There's going to be moisture. There's going to right. be weather conditions. Um, it, if anyone has ever left something metal out for too long, it rusts. It, you know, right. there's moving parts. They're not going to work. So what, what can I do to so, prep this trap so that it can actually function as intended? Right. So if you if you think about, let's talk specifically that they're brand new traps out of the box. Okay. So when they're manufactured, um, when they're put in the box, they have a coating of oil on them so that they don't rust. So when you open them up, it's a shiny silver trap. Okay. Got to get the oil off of it. Okay. So there's a couple different ways you can do it. Um, simple way is if you have a um, um, a milk carton, like a, one of those milk crates. Put your traps in a milk crate, go to the car wash. Drive in the car wash, you can wash your vehicle, and at the same time, you use the soap, high-pressure soap, and you hit all the oil off, then turn it on water, and rinse it all off. Boom. Done. I, every year, I take my traps at the end of the season. I have a power washer, but sometimes I just take them to the car wash, set them all down, and boom, clean them all off in one shot. So why do, if they come with oil already on them, right? That oil is protecting them from rusting. Why do I want to get that oil off? So the oil itself is probably going to be attractive to some critter. Okay. So, and we don't want, we don't want the animal to smell or even pay any attention to where the trap is at all. Okay. So that's good. Yeah. I kind of forgot that part. We need to get that oil off. And then, so there's another way to do it. You simply get a five gallon bucket, put Dawn dish soap in it and just do it at home. And there's a third way, you want to be really careful about this. I've made this mistake one time, is you put them in the washing or the dishwasher. So here's the problem. The chains, if they fall down and that little thing goes spinning around, um, the rest of the people in your house are not going to be real happy because they're going to break the dishwasher. So if you do that, you take the chain, wrap it around the trap and you zip tie it to the thing. So it, the chain and the trap stay together. You put them in the dishwasher and they are completely clean. So you might want to go with the five gallon bucket. <laughs> Way cheaper in the end. Um, then what I do is I take them outside and this isn't going to make sense, but I take them outside and I let them sit outside for a week until they get a slight coating of rust on them. And I know this doesn't make sense, but it will in a second. So they're not going to, it's not rusting through the metal. It's just got this brownish tint of rust on them. Then I, you, there's three different ways that I would suggest that you take care of them. Two of them I do, and the most traditional one, I do not. So the traditional one is 
you then boil those traps like in a pot over like a propane stove, boil them in water and add a uh, walnut hulls, let's say. So it's at a certain time of the year when all the walnuts are falling, you collect all of the hulls and you put them in the, in the water. And what happens is that when you boil the walnuts, the oil and everything coming off of the walnut hulls will darken the trap. So now it's not silver anymore and it sort of smells woodsy, okay? You can also, instead of the walnut hulls, you can buy a dye, a trap dye, and you pour it in the water and boil it in the water. Then what normally people do is they also have another container with wax and they boil this wax, which is very dangerous. You got boiling wax over top of an actual open flame. Then they take their trap and let's say they're all wired together and they take a hook and they take them out of the boiling water and they put them in the wax real carefully and then lift them up and then take them out of the wax. The problem is this, as you're lifting them up and the wax is dripping off, if it catches on the fire, the whole thing can start on fire. The reason people wax their traps, at least is what I'm told, is to speed up the trap. So you've got a little bit of wax and when you set the trap and the levers come up, there's wax on it and it's very, very fast coming up. I will tell you, and I've been trapping for over 40 years, I have never once, ever once, waxed my traps. <laughs> and I'll tell that to people that are like, what? And I'm, well, there's a whole lot of critters hanging in my garage season that didn't care that my traps weren't waxed. Here's the problem with wax. If you get some sort of something in that wax pot that is not clean, like something spills in there or whatever, that smell is adhered to your trap now through the wax. So you got to be really, really careful. Um, but a lot of people do it. Best way to do it is either is to go with somebody who knows what they're doing because they have all the equipment or watch a YouTube thing. But you want to be really, really careful because you've got an open flame and boiling wax or very hot wax. It might not be boiling, but it's very hot. Here's, an, in my opinion, a way easy, two easier ways. If they are brand new traps and you are brand new at this, make this really simple. Yeah, wash them all off. Okay. And then I don't even then don't even let them get any rust on them and get um, clear or uh, I'm sorry spray paint so not glossy flat and I use flat brown rust-oleum spray paint and I set them on a piece of cardboard out in my garage or out in my driveway way away from my vehicles in my house by the way especially if it's windy that would not be a good thing and I give them a light coating and they are completely brown I do the chains do the whole trap and I leave them sit out there until they dry. And I got news for you, um, that works. They're not gonna rust. They are perfectly camouflaged. And after a week or so, you lift them up, you can't smell the paint anymore. And that's one way to do it. Third way to do it is what's called cold dip. So I wash the traps, get all the oil off. I let them sit out till they get a little bit of rust on them. Then I have a five gallon bucket with this stuff called cold dip. There's different brands. And it's a real, looks like a, looks like a black paint. And you mix it with, let's say it's one part, like one quart of speed dip and three quarts of either uh, white gas, petroleum gas, like you would use in your Coleman stove or unleaded gas. And again, this isn't gonna make sense at all. You mix it all together and you take the trap 
and you just dip it completely in the trap or in the in the solution, lift it up. And I have in my barn, I've got a whole bunch of nails on some boards and I hang them on there. And people be like, what? Like, why would you put gasoline on your traps? Well, you get this hard baked on coating of this trap. And after two weeks or so, no smell of gasoline whatsoever. It dissipates, comes right off of it. And there's no flame. The only thing you got to worry about is make sure you're wearing crappy sneakers because if it drips and it gets on your, it's going to stain forever. So um, seriously, there's so there's easy ways to do it. I have even seen people. There was a guy, a man, a guy who worked for um, Woodstream Traps, and we, when I was with the Game Commission, um, we we did this uh, trapping. Um, like a kind of like a little test over on this property where no one else was allowed to be. And this guy brought brand new box of traps. He took them out of the box. They had the oil on them and we set them and he caught foxes the next day. So when people say it can't be done, that's not true. He proved that they didn't really care about it at all. Now, if those traps aren't protected and they're sitting out, like you said, in the moisture, don't think they're not going to rust because they are going to rust. And so I want the traps to last. So that's why you're doing it. You're not, you're not really, you're hiding the trap under the dirt. It's not like they, they could care less if they're silver. Okay. But you're trying to protect the metal. And if it gets rusted too, too much, then it will not be fast when it comes up. Okay. Um, so, and you got to be careful when you wax them, you want to be really careful because they, they, the, the dog or the trigger sometimes slips too. You have to make sure you get that wax off of there because it'll snap and catch you in the fingers and, you know, that won't be good. Okay. So yeah, easy. I've, they're easy way to take care of your traps. Yeah. I, I, I've heard of, you know, a, a couple of those um, sort of ways to prep traps, um, talking to a, a couple of different people that, that trap. And of course, you know, it's just like everything else. We, we, everyone finds their way of, right. of doing it and it works for them and they continue to do it that way. Um, you know, so, and, you know, I guess the, advice for everyone else is, you know, figure out these different ways you can, you can prep your sure. trap, um, you know, try different ways until you find one that works for yeah. you. And yeah. then, you know, just keep doing it that way. If it works for you, right. keep doing it. Uh, yeah, or every now and then just try a couple of traps a different way and see if it works any better. You know, it's, there's no, no one out there telling you, this is how you have to do it. Yeah. No. Uh, all right. So we prepped our traps. Can you, I don't want to get too, uh, in the weeds on this. So okay. sort of 10,000 foot view of how are we going to set the traps? And if you could just sort okay. of go step by step, we'll start yep. with um, coyote and fox. Okay. So uh, because as you mentioned, uh, before we started recording, a lot of times, you know, you're catching one or the other, depending on, you know, even setting for one and catching the other, it's very similar. Right. So right. start from the beginning, um, you know, you have this property that you have been allowed to trap on, uh, you know, given permission to trap on. Right. You walk onto that property. What are you doing, you know, step-by-step step to set these traps to be able to be successful, right? Because you could set the trap, you know, anywhere you want, uh, right. but that doesn't mean you're going to be successful. What, what steps are you taking to try to be successful? Okay. So, so you're, you're on this property. Um, what I try to do is if I can get there, you know, prior to the trapping season, I scout it. I go walk around and I'm looking for sign. I'm looking for tracks, looking for droppings, you know, 
uh, scat, all that kind of good stuff. And then I'm looking at the, the lay of the land. Um, if it's a farm property and there's farm roads or a, a woods property where there's lots of different woods roads, I'm gonna walk all of those trails because foxes and coyotes and most critters like us are pretty lazy. You know, there's a, it's a nice, there's a big thick field and then there's a trail that goes around it or partially through it. Well, they're not walking through the thick stuff if they don't have to, unless they smell a rabbit or a deer or something they're going after. So they're gonna walk on that trail. So if I can find places that intersect where there's two trails coming together or a trail that uh, maybe goes across, there, there's a, a stream and there's a bridge. So someplace that goes across and narrows down the animal's path, that's always a really good spot to set, okay? Because you're, you're increasing your odds. You can set it anywhere and maybe the fox or coyote will come to you. But if there's a pinch point of any kind, that's where they're gonna normally go anyhow. Um, so um, I, I would narrow those down. And if, if I found that spot, let's say I found that intersection and I talked to the landowner and nobody is, they're not driving that road all the time or they don't walk their dog on the road or anything like that, like it's, it's ideal then I'm not, I'm setting right on the trail. Like, I, I'm not trying to draw him away from the trail. I'm gonna set right where he's going, make it way easier. So if you can set on the trail, it's exactly where I would set. And, and I would never just put one trap. I'd always put two traps, maybe 10, 15 feet apart. The idea is if you're trapping and you're trying to catch a coyote and the first animal coming down the road um, that evening is a possum and he gets caught in the trap, and then the coyote comes down, there's no place for him to get caught. But if he circles that possum a couple of times thinking about making a meal out of him and smells something else right next to it, then maybe you've got the possum and the coyote. Let the possum go if you don't want him, keep the coyote. Better yet, it's in January and February when canines are breeding, they're running together. You got two traps, catch them both. Yeah, you got one in a trap, it's a huge draw for all other coyotes is to see a coyote that isn't moving. It just hangs out there. Well, they're all going to hang out there. And I tell people, there's only one way to catch a triple. Yeah, I got to put three traps in the ground. <laughs> okay. People are like, oh, I've never done that. I'm like, really? Have you ever said three traps? No. I'm like, you'll never catch a triple if you don't have three traps in the ground. So if it's a really good location, why would you not want to put a bunch of, you know, as many traps as you can in the good location, as opposed to setting traps in a so-so location? You should feel confident about the location for whatever reason. You saw the sign. It's a pinch point um, that, I, or the landowner is great info. Landowner says, I see them all the time on the berm of the pond. Well, you'd be a fool not to go to the berm of the pond. This, this person's like your guide. They just told you where they are. Why would, you, why would you try to figure it out yourself? Like the landowner lives there. Use their, take their advice and, and do that. So, so let's say you got the location. So that's where you're going to make some sets. Then if I'm gonna make what uh, traditionally is called like a dirt hole set. Um, the dirt hole set, the, the reason behind this, the idea behind this is that the fox or coyote that you catch, you've convinced them that a previous fox or coyote has buried something there, some food and is coming back for it. That's the whole premise of this. Because otherwise, why wouldn't you just put the dirt, the food on the ground? Well, in Pennsylvania, you're not allowed to. It can't be visible from the air. So it has to be covered in some way, either by a rock or a log or down a hole or in a pipe. And the idea of covering that, not being visible from the air, is so that you don't catch predatory birds, uh, hawks, eagles, 
crows, vultures, they, they see that and they're going to come down. So you can't have feathers spread around. You can't have food, any type of food visible, even fake stuff. You can't have it visible. It has to be covered. And the idea is the, the animals you're trying to catch are going to smell it, but you don't want a bird that's using mostly its eyesight to come down and get caught because they will get caught and no trap is good for a bird. Okay. It's not, it's not going to be good. Um, so, so you got the location. So let's say now you're going to dig a hole to, to put your trap in. And again, there's a million ways to do this. I'm just giving you the one way that I do it. Okay. And, and I do it a bunch of different ways, but I'll give you one way that's simple. I have practiced at home and I've set my trap. We'll talk about that in a second. So I know the size of my trap. It's five and a half by five and a half. So I don't want to make my hole eight and a half by eight and a half. I don't want a giant hole. I want a hole just that trap's going to fit in. And I want, when the trap is set, I want it slightly lower than the rest of the ground. Because I know that animals, foxes and coyotes like to step down in a hole. They don't like to step up on a, on a little tiny mound. So I want it lower. So I'm going to keep that in my mind that I want that hole dug a little bit deeper. And I'm never, I'm going to use that dirt most likely to cover my traps. So after I dig that hole, I'm going to put that dirt in my sifter. That thing we talked about that I'm going to sift the dirt over. Then I'm going to, in the middle of that hole, I'm going to pound my cable stake in or my rebar in to anchor it. So that trap is there. Then I'm going to dig up the bottom of that dirt hole. So it's kind of like um, loose dirt. And I'm going to set my trap in there and I'm going to wiggle it around so that when I push down on it, on any side of the jaws, it doesn't wiggle at all. That's called bedding your trap. Super important because you can go through all this effort. And if you just set your trap in there and the coyote comes up and he steps on it and it wiggles under his foot, that dude is not stupid. <laughs> he knows that's not normal. And he will dig up that trap and he could care less about what's in there now. He's curious. He digs up the trap. Sometimes he snaps it. Sometimes it's literally out of the ground, upside down, not even snapped. And there's usually a turd nearby to let you know. Now he's coming back tomorrow to do the exact same thing. So what we want to do is we want to catch him on the first time. We don't want him to trick us. So we want to bed that trap solid. And you just wiggle it around until you get it solid. Now, for a, for a fox, I'm going to have the middle of that pan about four to six inches from the, the lip of the hole, whatever it is, wherever I'm going to put the bait. For a coyote, I'm going to probably have it seven to nine inches away. And the reason being is this. When the fox or coyote leans in to stick his nose down the hole, a coyote is much longer, much bigger than a fox. So his distance from his front paw to where he puts his paw to the tip of his nose is about seven to nine inches. And a fox is going to be four to six. And I don't go in the middle and say, oh, I'll try to catch them both. I decide I'm, I'm, this is for a coyote or this is for a fox. You may catch either, depending on how curious they are or how great that smell is coming out there, they're walking around all over the place until they figure it out. And you may catch either one there. But I don't go with the, ah, I'm sticking it in the middle of, I'm going to go five or six. I don't do that. I either put it close to the hole and say, I'm trying to trap a fox here or I put it back seven to nine inches and I may still catch the fox anyhow. Okay, so I know that's in a little bit in the weeds, but people want to know like, how far away from the hole or from your rock or wherever your lure is, do you put the trap? And I go about four inches for a fox 
and about seven to nine inches to a kite. And um, then I, I put the pan cover on or that fiber fill underneath the pan. I sift the dirt over it or put the dried grass over it. I put my lure and everything down the hole. And if I use some fox urine or coyote urine or whatever, that all goes down the hole. Everything that I use goes in the hole. I don't squirt some to the left and some on a leaf and some over here. I want everything focused on one tiny little spot. And I, I've learned that over the years. I used to do it. I, you know, I read a thing, oh, you got to put this over here and that over there. Well, if you come back in the snow and you will see, they're all over the place because you just put smells everywhere. I want it all focused on one location and it's not on my trap. Like, you know, it's, it's in the hole or in a pipe or on a stick or something, but it's all in one spot. And sometimes there's grass or a log or something behind it that's called the backing. And the idea is you don't make it easy for them to come in from the backside and mess around. You want them to come in the side where your trap is. Again, there's a lot to it. I won't get too deep, but you want it, you want it bedded well. You want it covered maybe with a quarter inch of dirt, if that, or just a you know one layer of grass, not a whole lot of stuff. And you want it staked down in there. You want your lure or whatever it is you're going to use in one location. And again, you look online, everybody's like, oh, no, I do this. You, you do what works for you. I'm just telling you what works for me. And is everything is in one hole. And it's, it's like a Big Mac. Everything's in the bun. And it's all right there in front of it. Um, and uh, so that's what, that's what I do. And I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm going to be constantly learning to taking uh, some some training from some other people riding along with other uh, guys and gals on their lines and just seeing and all of a sudden I'll find something new and I'm like hey I'm going to try that I may not switch my whole lineup but I may try a couple of sets differently and you know see what works and that's the cool part about it is there isn't one way to do it there's a lot of ways to do it and and that can be daunting it'd be overwhelming if people were like no you got to do it this way you don't really have to, you, you, you do what, what works for you. And so I was just kind of talking about currently what's working for me on my line. Uh, okay. That, that seems easy, right? <laughs> the way you explained it. Um, and in my head makes, makes a whole lot of sense. Cool. Um, and with your, you know, track record and, and many years of trapping, um, you know, like you said, you're, you're learning new things and, trying to figure out what works, what works best. And mm -hmm. uh, so let, let's switch up the species a little bit. Okay. With a raccoon. Yeah. Different, right? We're going to set the trap a little bit differently for a raccoon sure. than we would for a coyote or a fox. Mm -hmm. So let, let's just do the same process, right? From the okay. very beginning, you're so, walking on the property. Gonna, what are we doing? Okay. So I'm going to specifically stick to using a foothold for a raccoon and I'm going to be doing this in the water. Okay, so you don't have to worry about a sifter. You don't have to worry about dirt to cover the traps. So let's say you got this property and there's a stream or a pond. We'll make it real simple. It's called um, uh, like a pocket set. And it's real simple to use. But first we start with a trap. So the trap is not a one and three quarter to a two, way too big. So what happens is if you use one of those traps, will they catch a raccoon? Sure. But the jaw, there's a lot of space between where the foot is caught and the pan. There's a whole lot of space for that foot. That becomes numb. 
the, the raccoon wants to chew on the trap and there's this numb thing, can't feel it, and he may chew on his foot. So you're gonna use a smaller trap that has much less space between the top of the jaw when the jaws come together and the pan. And they make specific traps that make it difficult for a raccoon to get his little face in there and chew on. He's not trying to chew his foot. He, he can't feel it, it's numb, okay? But he is one of the animals that occasionally will do that. Usually foxes and coyotes, they don't do that. They don't really chew on the trap. Raccoons are like, they're just trying to get free, okay? So what I trap raccoons with a foothold, I like to do it in the water. That way, they, they're, not, they're not necessarily going to drown, okay? They're gonna be there, they're gonna be alive in the morning, but the trap in their foot's underwater and they're just sitting there. They're not happy, but they're not gonna hold their breath and chew on the trap. They, they don't do that. So I eliminate that whole chewing thing by catching them in three inches of water. It's eliminated, okay? So here's, what the, here's how I do it. I use a trap called a number 11, which is actually just like a number one, which is really confusing. But a number 11 means it's got, it's a, instead of a coil spring trap, it's got two long springs that come out at each side. And this trap has, instead of one jaw, it actually has a second jaw, two layers. And the idea is it eliminates the space underneath where the animal's foot's caught. It's designed specifically for a raccoon. It's the perfect trap and it's super strong, super strong. So, and it's only got an opening of about three inches, three and a half inches maybe, that's it. It's, so it's a tiny little, you never try to catch a, a fox or, or, or a coyote with it. A coyote would probably just yank his foot right out of it. It's just not that strong, okay? Uh, normally, normally. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go along the bank. So I'm gonna have boots on. I'm gonna get in the water to make this set. And I'm gonna go right up against the bank. And the first thing I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take my little digging tool and I'm gonna dig a hole, maybe about three inches in diameter and about eight to 10 inches back in the bank, just above the water line. So you can picture the, you're in the, you're in the stream or a pond and I'm in the water facing the bank and I'm gonna dig a hole, maybe eight or nine inches back, about three inches in diameter, just above the water line. Then I'm gonna take sardines and I'm gonna shove a whole bunch of sardines as far back in that hole as I can. Maybe I'm gonna sprinkle some of the oil on the top of the, of the ground right there, which is a huge attractant to that, okay? Then I'm gonna take that trap and I'm gonna stake it or cable or use the cables and I'm gonna attach it to a log or something in the water so we can't get out. Or I'm gonna stake it down. Like sometimes you're in streams and they're all rocky and you can't, you just can't do it. So it might be a big heavy log and I'm gonna stick it in the water and that's where I'm gonna stake him. I'm gonna put my trap right up against the hole. So I'm gonna take my, my hand and I'm gonna dig a little hole um, in, the, in, the, in the dirt right up against the bank so that when I, my trap sits in there, it sits in perfect and it doesn't wiggle. It's bedded underwater. And it's right up against the bank. Like it's, you'd have, the next step from the trap is right inside that little hole. And that is called a pocket set. And it couldn't be any easier. And it is so effective because raccoons, they're, they're hunting along the edge of the water. And when they smell something, they see the hole, they cannot help themselves. They gotta get in the water to try to get inside. The easiest way to do it is to get in the water and reach in. And the minute they step in it, boom, they're caught. And, and, and at the same time you're trapping raccoons, if it's mink season or muskrat season, they can't resist going in the hole either. So it's a, you can catch three critters. It's the right size trap for all three of them in the water. 
uh, a mink or a muskrat, the trap itself weighs about as much as they do. So they will actually go out, flip out into the little bit deeper water. Now, and animals like that, and everybody thinks they drown. They do not drown. It's not, it's technically, they don't, like you and I, we would inhale water in our lungs and we would drown. They, they can't take water into their lungs because they can swim underwater. They asphyxiate. So it takes about maybe a minute or so and of being under the water. They can't breathe. It's a buildup of carbon dioxide and they die very quickly, very humanely. But when people say it's a drowning set, okay, if that's what you want to believe, but they don't inhale water. They did not drown. Okay. It's a very quick and humane way to do it for those animals that make it a muskrat. But so you've got this pocket set now for a raccoon, you could catch three different critters right there along a bank of a pond or a stream. Yeah, as soon as you started this, you started talking about setting in the water. I'm like, what the heck is this guy talking about? Why would you set this in the water? But then you immediately said, you know, raccoons like to chew yeah. on the trap, right? Because they're trying to get themselves free. So if they can right, figure right, out a way to right. open up that trap. I want to eliminate know, that. Right. And when you put it in water, then obviously they, they can't do that because they're ah. using their face, you know, their mouth right. to chew. Yeah, they're, they're that, not going to hold their breath. Yeah. That, make, that makes a whole lot of sense now. Um, all right. So we talked about those two different types of sets. Um, you know, one for coyote or fox, because they're very mm -hmm. similar, one for raccoon, and then, you know, mink and muskrat as well. Um, one thing that I noticed that other than the water portion and the size of the trap, I mean, there's a whole lot of things that are different, right? Right, um, right. But the the sort of overriding part of that that I see as different between those two types of sets is one with the coyote and fox, you're using a lure, right? You're using scent to lure them in. Um, right. And it's, and you said you're using sardines for raccoon. I mean, that's mm -hmm. food. That That's a bait. Right. Um, or is there ever a time that you're using a bait for coyote or a lure oh, for raccoon? For sure. And I mean, well, how for do you, sure. so yeah. how do you determine whether you're going to use a sort of like scent attractant lure type thing, or if you're going to use a bait to try to get that animal to come into your set? Okay. So <clears throat> for fox and raccoon, or I'm sorry, fox and coyote, when it's earlier in the season, prior to breeding season, I'll use a lot more bait. So it's a food. So I'm, I'm not gonna use a gland lure that makes it smell like the opposite sex of that animal until we get into January, February, when that is more attractive, okay? So I'm gonna use uh, early in the season, October, November, and, and into December, I'm gonna use a lot of bait. Um, and that is gonna be a food and, and it might be, I might use multiple kinds. I might put um, uh, a meat bait down in the hole, and then I might take a stick and dip it in some other kind of attractant lure. I've got hundreds of bottles of this stuff in my garage. Some stuff I make, a lot of stuff I buy. Um, and I might, so there might be three different smells coming out of that hole. And, and then on top of that, there might be some fox urine down in the hole too. So the idea is, so the critter's walking along, it smells the thing and they can discern real, I mean, they have a really great sense of smell. Well, if that first, if I only have one in there and it's just not that attractive to them, it just keeps on walking. But if there's three coming out of there, as long as possible, I just want him to be stepping around, stepping around and then boom, he gets caught. Um, but it, so I want to keep him there as long as I can. And when I say that it might be literally 30 seconds or a minute. That's long. 
okay? Because he might he might see it and it's just a hole and there, he doesn't see a rabbit sitting there and maybe he doesn't want to dig down in there. But if he's curious enough, if it's got a good smell coming out of there, that animal's going to stay there longer and be digging around in it. And that's what I'm trying to do. And one of the ways that I've, I've checked, tested that is by putting up a camera um, on my set on video to see just how long they actually stay. And sometimes they, they, they come back and obviously you don't know if it's the exact same one, but one will come by early in the, like eight o'clock at night, doesn't really spend a lot of time. Then they show up at one o'clock in the morning and they get caught. I don't know, is it the same one? I have no idea, um, but you don't really know until you, unless you can see it in the, in the mud or the snow, you can actually look at the tracks or if you have some sort of, like wildlife cameras are cool, I love to, to put them out there just to see how they react to, to different scents and lures and things like that. No, that makes sense. Uh, you know, I, I sort of liken it to, you know, maybe a bar for humans, uh, you know, sure. it, er, yeah. early in the, you know, uh, evening time, they're trying to get people to, you know, dinner time, they're trying to get people to come in with food, with bait, right? right? Exactly. Um, and then, you know, if they have a bar at that, uh, or if we're talking about bar, if they you sure. know, early try to get people in because of food, and then, you know, as the night wears on, uh, and human urges start, uh, we start luring in with uh, other <laughs> prospects, <land> <laughs> other, yeah. So that, that makes gotcha. sense, you know, with, sure. you know, animals, they're not, they're not capable or, or able to breed year round like humans are, right? right? They have right. very specific seasons. So that, that makes yeah. a whole lot of sense. All right. So what did we forget? What have we, what, what did I forget that we have uh... not talked about? anything or do you feel like we've covered it pretty well i think we covered it i mean we talked about basic equipment we talked about how to prep them um how to well we didn't really talk about setting actually setting the trap we could do that real quick i'll just talk specifically about a foothold trap and i'll say this foot to try to describe this foothold trap has coil springs on it so it doesn't have the long springs that stick out it has coil springs on it and it's got a dog or a trigger because some traps don't have dogs and triggers anymore. They're, they're really simple. They, the, the dog and trigger is actually part of the pan, but we won't get into those weeds. We'll just pretend it's got a little dog on it. So the way to set this thing the first time to practice is to set it on the ground, not with your hands, use your feet. So set it on the ground and have the dog facing away from you. And then lift up, keep your heels on the ground, put your, the front of your feet on the levers and step down and use your weight to step down. And when you put the levers down, then the jaws will flap open. And there will be a loose jaw that is the one closest to you. And there'll be the jaw that's going to go underneath the trigger. Okay. So what you do is with the, the trigger is laying out and the, the jaw comes down and then you fold the trigger over top of that jaw and you put your hands underneath the loose, your other hand underneath the loose jaw and lift up the pan. That way, if something happens, you are, there's nothing inside the jaws that's gonna get caught. And then when you have that set, what's gonna happen is the pan's gonna be sticking up at an angle, but you want the pan to come down level. You, you do this by flipping up the loose jaw over the pan and using your thumb and your, your pointy finger and slowly putting it down to its level or to where to some traps have this little audible click, that little notch on it, and it clicks and it tells you that it is level. I like those types of traps, especially for teaching new people, because you can hear the audible click. And this way, if you press too hard and it snaps, you got nothing, your fingers are not in the jaws. Okay, quick way to not want to do it again, 
just keep get, catching your finger. And if you do this with your feet while you're standing up, it is so much easier to do. And then you should practice this a bunch before you go trapping. Like you don't want to take your traps up the first day of trapping season and you have never set them. Okay. So you practice this at home. And then when you snap the trap, you just take your foot, not your toe, your foot, and you step down on the pan and just lift your foot up. Nothing happens. When I do this with new people all the time, they think it's like a gun that when the, when the jaws come together, there'll be an explosion. And then they hear it's just click. And they're like, it's almost like, like, they're like, what? I, I thought, I'm like, this isn't a gun. It's just two pieces of metal coming together. And if your finger or a fox's foot is in there, the pieces of metal don't even come together. Like, there is no noise. So once they see it, once a new person sees it, then they want to set it a bunch of times. And that's exactly what I'm after is just, you can set it. I've And I've had really young kids do it with my help because sometimes they're not heavy enough to, you know, push down on the levers. But once you do and they see I think it's important to know how to do it so that let's say you don't ever trap, but you see a non-target, you see a dog or your dog caught in it. How do you get them out? You don't get them out by yanking on them. That'd be a terrible idea. All you need to do is your feet. You hold the dog's head so he doesn't bite you and you step down on the levers and poof, he's out. And I do it with all the landowners where I trap so that they all know just in case. And so it's, it's actually really easy, but you need to do it with your feet. Okay, because if you do it with your hands and it slips, you're really going to be hesitant to do it again. You know, <clears throat> I feel like I have a pretty confident um, idea of how to set a trap because we're doing this over a video call. I'm able to see you move your hands. Yeah, and uh, I have a trap here. I, it's, <laughs> I wanted to show it to you, but it's kind of like, well, okay, you can see it, but right, nobody else right. can see it. And, and <laughs> you know, I'm that's the unfortunate part about a podcast is sometimes, you know, the visual aspect that I get as the host talking with other people, um, you know, the listeners don't get. So I guess the, the best thing, the best piece of advice for the listeners would be, you know, read the manufacturer's instructions on how to set and disarm the trap. Uh, I feel like in, in, you know, 2021, a lot of these companies probably also have, uh, you know, videos either on their website or on YouTube on how to do that. Oh, there's a you know, million of them on stuff. YouTube. So, yeah. um, you know, take the time to really watch that, to really read through the directions uh, and have, feel confident and you know what the next step's going to be as you get to each step. And then, like you said, practice, um, yeah. you know, go in your backyard. It takes, uh, you know, once you get good at it, it takes what, 15 seconds to set a trap? Well, I mean, I like to be, once I know the location I'm going to, to set, I like to be completely away from it in maybe two to three minutes. Like, I don't want to stay there really long. Okay. When I first started, it might take me 15 minutes because I'm like, I'm rearranging every little stick. And now I realize that that's just not that important. It, it's, you got to get to what's important. Like you not being there as long as possible is the, is the most thing because you're leaving smell. So I want to get in, make the set, put my lure in, cover the trap, boom, go to the, to the next set and be gone. Because you spending all that time really isn't making that much of a difference. I mean, the, the animal most likely is coming into the dark. It can't see everything as great as you could see it during the day anyhow. And, but, you know, make sure the trap's bedded, make sure it's covered, however you're going to cover it, and then move on. Like, and, and again, don't just take, go on 100 acre property and set one trap. You're crazy. It's too much work set a couple of traps and catch 
a couple of critters, you know? Um, and, and, and if you could just go along with somebody maybe for the first time, not even set it all, just see what they do, make sure they're ethical and whatever. Um, but that's one of the best ways to learn is just to go some with somebody and then you have a better idea. It's hard on the podcast because I just can't show you anything, but, um, uh, hopefully it's been helpful. Well, and <clears throat> from going back to uh, the last episode that you were on where we, where we talked about everything going on with trapping, not actually doing it. Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned some great resources. So just as a reminder for people or um, if they haven't yet listened to up, so what are uh, a couple places they can go to find someone else that, that traps, find more information about trapping? Uh, just sure. To- so the one thing is definitely the uh, Pennsylvania Trappers Association. So it's patrappers.com. That's a really good one. Um, then there's the National Trappers Association. And then there's Fur Takers of America. So you can just Google those things, Fur Takers of America, National Trappers Association, Pennsylvania Trappers Association. You know, you can go on YouTube and say, and just Google coyote trapping. What you gotta be careful of is, not that that person is not doing something ethical or legal, but it could be in completely another state with different regulations. So you gotta, gotta keep that in mind. Could even be a PA trapper, but, but they're trapping in New Mexico and they have different regs. So you're like, oh, well, I know that guy, he's from Pennsylvania. Yeah, but he's not, he's following the laws of New Mexico, not in Pennsylvania. So you just gotta be careful of, of that kind of thing. And then, you know, you can Google uh, trapping um, resources uh, or trapping supply dealers. And there's some big ones out there. There's a Minnesota brand traps. There's um, FNT trap supplies. Um, there's just, I, I mean, there's just two of them. There, there's a lot of them. There's one called No BS Lures. And that's a really good one too. Um, they've got all kinds of traps, trapping products. Um, and uh, so those are just a couple. Um, but, you know, your trapping association, and, and if you end up doing this kind of thing, make sure you become a part of the association too. Like we talked about in the last podcast, there's not that many of us in 12.7 million people in this state. So make sure you're doing it legally. You know, the other thing you do is you could contact the Pennsylvania Trap or the Pennsylvania Game Commission um, and just say, hey, I'm interested in doing this. What do I have to do? Well, first thing you're gonna have to do is you're gonna have to take a hunter trapper education course, which you can do online. Or you can go to an in-person course, which I think is a little bit better. But then there's actually a trapping course. It's not required, but it's 10 hours and it is hands-on stuff. And so those kinds of things, those resources in Pennsylvania are good. Um, and uh, so those are, those are some ideas. Yeah, and you can, yeah, you, just like Dan said, you can Google those associations or just look down the episode notes. Uh, I'm going to have links cool. down there for you so you can check them out. Dan, thanks for coming on. Uh, I, had, yeah. I had a great time learning about this and um, you're, you're going to be hearing more from me uh, here in the future. So have a good one. And uh, thanks for coming on again. Thank you, Jason. Before we keep going, a real quick question for you. Are you concerned with urban sprawl? Are you concerned with the threat of our increased human presence as put on wildlife and wild spaces? If so, An easy next step for you to try to help with this situation is to visit our Patreon page and become a monthly supporter. If you like this podcast, if you 
would like to help form a new nonprofit that helps combat and mitigate the effects of urbanization, visit patreon.com slash conserve the wild. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash conserve the wild. Go visit today and become a sponsor. That'll do it for yet another episode. I want to thank Dan for coming on. And of course, I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen to this episode. Uh, This was a lot of good knowledge for someone like me who has a passing interest in trapping just because it's an outdoor activity, but I've never actually participated in any kind of trapping. Uh, It's something that that I've always been interested in and, and wanted to try out. And this is getting some of this information from Dan has definitely sort of sparked or or renewed that spark of interest in this and starting to sort of look out and and try to find someone uh, who I can just sort of follow around, just see what they're doing and and see how everything works uh, to try to figure out how I can maybe take part in this this activity as well. Uh, I hope it's done the same for you. If you've never trapped before, uh, I hope you look into it a little bit more, and, and if nothing else, just to see the conservational need for trapping. Uh, if you do have an interest in trapping, I hope this has sort of sparked that that interest of you know actually getting out and doing it like it has done for myself. Um, this is you know just like hunting, just like fishing. This is something that you can do in the outdoors that does aid in conservation. Uh, that does help population dynamics of a wide range of species, uh, even the ones that, you know, you don't trap. And, um, you know, hopefully uh, we can all realize that, that this is something good for the environment uh, if done under, you know, proper regulations and, and, and rules. Uh, and like I said, hopefully you can get out there and, and try as well. Until next week for our big 100th episode, something special, I want you to get outside, enjoy nature, and stay wild.